The Bible reading this morning is from Luke chapter 18, uh, starting at verse 1. And that's on page 1051 of the Church Bibles. Uh, Luke chapter 18, from verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord God said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Thank you very much indeed, Emma, for reading for us. Do keep open that page on 1051 as we're going to look at this uh, parable, which uh, is quite a challenging one, I think, in many ways. Let's pray as we get into it. Spirit of Christ, we pray that you would come this morning to help us to understand that word that you inspired and have preserved for us down through the centuries We pray uh, that you would help us to uh, let Christ move into our lives more and more and rule there. And we pray this to the glory of the Father. Amen. Now, you remember uh, from school days, perhaps, uh, the teacher who used to say, keep working, I'm just popping down the corridor uh, to the staff room to grab something. And as they walked off uh, down the corridor, you knew full well that they were going for a coffee and perhaps a smoke. And as soon as they were out of sight, what happened? Well, we all stopped working for a start. And if they were away for more than a couple of minutes, then chaos would erupt. And uh, when, if the teacher eventually came back, there would be hell to pay. It has been 2,000 years now since Jesus Christ went down the corridor, and in his world, chaos has erupted. And our danger as disciples of Jesus Christ, if that's what we are, is to become disheartened, to wonder whether he's ever going to come back, and to become complacent, even though, despite the long delay, he said he will return, and when he does return there will be, for some, literal hell to pay. It is for that reason that Jesus tells this quite remarkable parable. First, he tells us up front his intention. Second, he then tells us the parable, the illustration itself. Third, the Lord then interprets the illustration 
before forth questioning, or if you want to forth eye, interrogating his disciples. So let's begin with our Lord's intention in verse 1. It's always helpful to find that the key is already in the lock. And Jesus tells us the purpose of his parable up front. To show his disciples they should always pray and not give up. And as disciples, it is a great uh, danger that we become discouraged and disheartened, especially when we're surrounded by much apathy and many adversaries. Now, if you're new to Bible reading, as a number of us here will be, um, you should know that chapter divisions uh, were not original, but they were added later on to help us to sort of navigate what is quite a, a big book. And they're mostly helpful, occasionally unhelpful. And here I would vote for the division being placed a little bit later after verse 8 of chapter 18. Because that verse, verse 8 of chapter 18, shows us that Jesus is still speaking about the same topic that he was talking about at the end of chapter 17. His return to judge the world. However, he says, when the Son of Man comes, you see, that's what he's talking about, will he find faith on earth? So let's keep chapter 17 in mind when Jesus says, we should always pray and not give up. Because Jesus isn't calling us to prayer in general in this parable. He's calling us to pray for something much more specific. What? Well, as I said, chapter 17 is talking about the return of the Son of Man, the one who spoke creation into existence, will come in unmistakable judgment. It will be stark and sudden, like lightning going across the sky, and it will be just another ordinary day, just as it was in the days of Noah or Lot, both of which are mentioned in chapter 17. There will be barely a thought for God, abounding apathy. People will be going about their ordinary business in cafes and restaurants, making trades on the internet, pushing the trolley around Waitrose, mowing the lawn, struggling to build a flat pack from Ikea, ordinary living, and then like lightning across the sky, judgment will fall from heaven. Jesus Christ went down the corridor and 2,000 years later our great temptation is to forget that he is coming back on a day of great justice to set everything right. And so we are tempted to be just like everyone else, to blend in, to get caught up with everyday concerns, to forget that he is coming And so the Son of Man calls us to specific prayer about his return and about the justice that he will bring for his people. But how incredibly difficult it is for us to live righteously in this world. You see, there sat Noah every Saturday afternoon for 75 years, hammering away at his ark, while people drove past on their way to see friends, to cycle in the forest or attend the footy. 
And as the cruel comments came his way, he must have wondered, is it really worth it? Until one day, suddenly the rain started to fall and it never stopped. Or in the days of Lot, people living with no thought to the judgment to come. And then, suddenly, burning sulfur raining from from heaven. The days of Noah, the days of Lot. And in the day of the Son of Man, it will be exactly the same. God's just judgment will come. But that just judgment has been delayed 2,000 years now. And if we're disciples of Christ, if we're honest, we are tempted to give up praying for that. We wonder if he's really going to come back. So the Lord's intention then is that we should keep praying for justice. And he tells us that up front before he tells us the parable, his illustration that we come to now, our Lord's illustration. Now, the point of this illustration isn't that it pays to pester God or that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. See, that cajoling kind of prayer is actually pagan. See, only pagans believe that God needs his arm twisted in order to respond. And that's why they often pray uh, the prayer, Lord, do this for me and I'll go to church for you. It is, however, enormously easy to misread this parable in that way, as if it were saying we need to nag God. The widow is a nuisance to the judge. She's there morning, noon and night, mid cornflakes, and her letter drops on the judge's mat. Morning coffee break, and she taps him on the shoulder. When he gets back from lunch, there's been an urgent telephone call from her. And at the end of the day, as he slumps down into his car seat, he finds that she has sent him seven emails. And in the end, he gives in. He wants an easier life, and giving in is easier than not giving in. And so she gets justice. So here then, we have an unjust and uncaring judge, exactly the opposite of what a judge should be. If you're taking notes, 2 Chronicles 19 is the place to look. The judge, you see, neither feared God, nor did he care about what people thought. He violates the the double love command, the, the command to love God and to love your neighbor. He doesn't care about God, and he doesn't care about his neighbor either. What bothers him is having an easy life, which is something this widow plays upon. Now, just in in case we might, we need to recognize that the judge is no cartoon caricature. He's typical, even in today's world. You see, through Christian influence, we in the West are in that very privileged position uh, of being able to go to courts and by by and large, expect justice from them. Many people across our world don't have that great privilege because bribery and corruption is the norm. 
So this unnamed widow is both helpless and friendless. You see, in that culture back then, women only attended court if there was no brother, no father, no husband, no uncle to go for them. She has no one. Her only recourse is to play upon the judge, judge's innate sense of self-preservation. So the telephone rings for the umpteenth time, and in the end he says, I'm just going to give her what she wants, just because he doesn't want to be bothered anymore. So that's the illustration. What is the point? I mean, are we, does Jesus seriously want us to think that God is like the judge? Well, yes and no. Let's come to our Lord's interpretation then. Listen, says Jesus. It is a call to be discerning as we read his illustration and to ask ourselves in what ways is God like the just, a judge, and in what ways is he unlike the judge? Now, there are a couple of ways in which they are alike. So, the judge grants justice to the widow, and God will grant justice to his people. And the judge grants delayed justice. And often God delays his justice too. Today, of course, we may see God's justice in part, in in places, but final justice awaits the consummation of his kingdom when our King, the Lord Jesus, returns. God's justice is delayed, just as it is in this parable. But in significant ways, the judge and God are unlike chiefly in character. They both grant justice, but they do so for very different reasons. So unlike the unjust judge, our God is just. We get an illustration of this from Lot's day. See, before God destroyed the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, The text tells us that he sent two angels to go and check that the bad reports that had come to him were true. Obviously, he didn't need to do that, but he does it for our sake to show that he is just. And you remember beforehand, Abraham was was talking with God in prayer. And he asked God if he would spare Sodom if there were any righteous people there. What did Abraham say to him? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right, do justice? Our God is deeply concerned by the injustice that he sees in this world, and one day will right it all. On June the 1st, there was a court in Pakistan that handed the death penalty 
to a 22-year-old Christian called Noman Massey under the blasphemy laws. His lawyer said, I'm extremely disappointed by the conviction because there was no case to answer. There was no proof against Noman, and none of the witnesses produced by the police could corroborate the blasphemy charge brought against him. It's a terrible injustice. But our God is just and cares about that. In the day of the Son of Man, that injustice will be righted. God is unlike the unjust judge because God is just and also because God cares. He is loving. This unnamed widow has no one to fight her cause. She was unnamed. But our God knows us each by name. She cried out to a judge who couldn't care less. But notice what the text calls us. We are God's chosen ones. So we cry to a heavenly father as people to whom God has pledged his commitment. He doesn't care less. He he cares lots for you and for I. And we know that because he has sealed it towards us by the blood of his own son. So here's the, the logic, if you like. If a scumbag judge gives justice to an unknown widow that he couldn't care less about, how much more will the judge of all the earth who does right and who has chosen and committed himself to his people bring justice for us? That's the logic. What's implicit, of course, in this parable is that God's people represented by the widow, will face all kinds of injustices in this world. Now, for us, it's often a pinprick, but it can still hurt. Being marginalized in social contexts, cancelled in political debate, passed over for career progression. God's people, says the commentator Dale Ralph Davis, are assaulted, assailed, and sometimes annihilated. But they must keep praying for God to put things right. And he will. Because he is just. And because he is loving. But if God is really just and he's really loving, why does he delay? Well, because he is also patient. Now that last clause in verse 7 asks the question, will God keep putting them off? It's a difficult clause to translate, but behind that translation is the idea of God's patience. There is a delay in God's justice because God is patient. The word is Macrothemeo, and it means remote anger, anger 
at a distance. The Lord keeps his anger at a distance, is what it's saying. Exercising patience. Why? Well, because as the Apostle Peter says, the Lord's patience means salvation. So what is God waiting for? Why doesn't he come? Why doesn't he bring justice and bring it... Well, why didn't he do it 2,000 years ago? Because he is waiting for the full number of his chosen ones to be saved. When the Son of Man comes to bring his justice, it will be a terrifying day. It is almost too terrifying to contemplate. And we don't want him to come until he has gathered every single one of his people. That will include, of course, people we know, people we're praying for, our children, our parents, our friends, our neighbours, our relatives. Some of them are yet to turn to Jesus Christ. And we don't want Christ to come until they do. We fear for them. And God himself is not willing that any of his chosen ones perish, but that all come to repentance. And so he is patient. I came across a New Testament scholar this week, I'd never heard of him before, called T.W. Manson. And he retells a story from the rabbis about a compassionate king. And the king wanted to rule the city with compassion. And so what he did is he got his soldiers and he garrisoned them many miles away from the city. Well, the elders of the city came to him and asked him why he he did that. And the compassionate king replied, well, because if there's a rebellion in the city, it will take a long time for the soldiers to get there and give time for the rebels to come to their senses. God, you see, patiently keeps his anger at a distance because he wants to give people time to repent and to come to salvation. But the clock is ticking and time is running out for that. See, there is a bit of a tension in this uh, parable. See, God's patience stands in tension with the beginning of verse 8. See there it says that God's people will receive justice quickly. What does that mean 2,000 years later? There could be a couple of things going on here. It could be that God's justice, when it comes, will come suddenly, like in the days of Noah and Lot. It suddenly came. That's possible. More likely, I think, it means that justice will come quickly from God's perspective. Quickly in the sense of, well, now that Christ has come, all of the decisive events of world history, they've happened already. So we've had had the life and the death and we've had the resurrection of of Christ. So now it is, as it were, that we're living in the, the epilogue of history. So from our perspective, it seems like justice is ages in coming, 2,000 years and counting. But from God's perspective, 
when a thousand years is as a day, well, to him it feels as if he's just been waiting since last Friday. So our Lord interprets his illustration, saying that despite delay, his chosen ones will receive justice. God will put things right and deal with those who wrong his people. His just and loving character guarantees it. But if justice seems long in coming, it is because his patience for some will mean salvation. Now for the sting in the tail, our Lord's interrogation. Look at verse 8. I tell you, God will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus delivers a truth bombshell. The real issue isn't whether we can depend upon God's faithfulness. That's not in doubt. The real issue here is will we be found faithful? So having disappeared down the corridor 2,000 years ago and seeing the chaos and the apathy and increasingly feeling the hostility towards Christians in our society, will we be found faithful when the Son of Man comes? So we need to pray. Those with faith will pray. And those who pray will be found to have enduring faith. The clownfish protects a certain sea anemone from being eaten by other fish. And for its trouble, the anemone stings the predators of the clownfish. They are in a mutually beneficial or symbiotic relationship. And prayer and faith are also symbiotic. They protect and feed one another. So prayer feeds faith and faith feeds prayer. So if we want the Son of Man to find faith here at Christchurch, here in our hearts, then we need to be people who pray with tenacity because otherwise the Son of Man will not find faith in us. It is a serious warning that Jesus gives to us here. Now, if I can distill uh, what I've said for you, let me do it like this. God will bring justice for his praying people. Therefore, faithfully endure despite delayed justice. Now, I want to spend a moment just speaking to those who feel pretty unmoved by that challenge from Christ. Maybe that's you. Perhaps you think there is no judge and no judgment. Or maybe you think that God's seeming inaction means that he is just like that unjust judge. Unjust, or at least uncaring. He doesn't care for small fry like us. But the Lord Jesus Christ says that he is coming back. And he warns us that if he finds no faith in our hearts, then there will be no room in his kingdom You see, it was only those who entered the ark in Noah's day 
only those who fled from Sodom who were saved. And all the rest were destroyed. I can't imagine that anybody here wants to be unprepared for the day of the Son of Man. Many of you, I know, do pray. But perhaps the Lord is wanting to gently challenge you about your praying this morning. He loves you, and he wants to hear about your health and finances and your kids and your elderly parents and your sick border collie. Of course he wants to hear about all of those things. But when Christ comes, he is looking out for those who are crying to him day and night for the justice that he promises to bring. He's looking for people who are praying that, Lord Jesus, set up your rule in my heart and rule me completely. He is praying for those, uh, he he is looking for those who are praying that his rule would be extended across uh, this society and that the church of Jesus Christ would be multiplied. Who are praying that he will restrain evil in our world and also grant justice for his persecuted ones. Now, if you're not in the habit of praying those kinds of prayers, and and perhaps you recognize your prayers are very kind of self-focused, then can I commend to you uh, praying the Lord's Prayer each day? It's been helpful uh, to me to do that. And before you get to pray for your daily bread and all of your concerns, well, why not begin by praying for his name and his kingdom and his will first. Or maybe the next time you're watching the news and you see a terrible injustice on the TV, you stop, turn off the the TV, and you pray about that terrible injustice. Pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, sort this world out. It's easy to become apathetic, to become just like the people in Noah or Lot's day, question is, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in your home and in your heart? Just a word then for those who really are aching for the justice that the Son of Man will bring. Keep praying for that. Don't give up praying for that. Not in order to get God to hear you, but because you know that God already does hear you. Of course, God may answer in the here and now. He often does and often has throughout history. Think back to the time of Constantine the Great when he delivered the church from the persecution of the heathen emperors and when he delivered the church from religious oppression at the time of the Reformation. Or more recently, back in 1989, how the communist regimes came crashing down, or how theological liberalism, which has destroyed the faith of many, has has largely burnt itself out in the last decades. And I was reading just uh, this week, to bring us right up to date, of an Iranian secret agent called Arvin. Arvin uh, was gathering intelligence to ensnare Christians, and in order to do so, he went, on, went along to his local church to the discipleship course. The pastor figured something was up, and so he prayed that the Holy Spirit would convict Arvin. He did, 
and Arvin came to faith. And now, Arvin runs his own fellowship group, which consists of people who have come to faith through his own witness to them. See, God still and often answers the prayers of his people who cry out to him for justice. And could it be that God will call time on the pride movement or expose the current gender ideology our children are facing in schools? Let's pray that he would. Let's keep praying that he would gather his people into his kingdom and overthrow evil wherever it is found. Dear friends, we have a just, a loving, and a patient God. So let's keep praying and working and witnessing. Let's not become disheartened when we don't see justice now. Let's help one another to not give up, but to pray and to have faith. See, our Lord Jesus himself faced the greatest injustice. He prayed for his enemies. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And he was heard because of his loud cries. So as God's chosen ones, loved by him, despite the delay, let's keep looking for his justice because we know he hears our cries, because we know he is coming, and because we know that when he comes back, he will bring perfect justice. Every cry heard, every wrong put right. Let's just take a moment on our own just to think about what the Lord's been saying to us this morning, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Our patient Lord, we thank you that you have been patient enough to allow us, if we are yours, to come and repent and be saved. We praise you that you are extending your patience, and we do pray for those who do not yet know you. But we know that you are not only patient and loving, but just too. And so we do long for that day when Jesus will come and put this world right and we pray that he will come and receive the glory that is due his name. And in his name we pray. Amen.